Long, way outside for the three. He's got it. He's got it. It's good. Season for Texas, they finished 34 and 0. The number one ranked team from beginning to end, winning their first NCAA championship. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Texas 24 podcast on the Dave Campbell's Podcast Network. I'm Matthew Bruni, and joining me once again is Ishmael Johnson. Ish, how are you doing today? I am doing pretty good. Pretty, pretty good, pretty good. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's another day, it's another year, and um, it's another weekend where Nalissa Smith has still not lost to Texas. So, <laughs> there you go. I, Man, when I heard that, I thought it, that was crazy. It's a new level where it's like, and she, she beats them t- because of the schedule. How the schedule works, she beats them twice in one week. Like, <laughs> it's nuts. That game was. Second game was was great. Uh, first game was not not that great. So very competitive. So she's played them what eight times, I guess, at this point, at least. At it's least, her, yeah. It's her fourth year, and they said she's never lost to them. So it's at That's least nuts. eight times, and then they probably played in the tournament once. Yeah, twenty seventeen, I think, was the last time they lost to them, right? I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say that t- she's ten and zero against them at least. Just owned. That's 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 nuts. Yeah. Like and unless they meet in the tournament, like it's gonna it's gonna stay that way, right? So, yeah, that that's where we'll start. We'll start with that. We also have um, some interesting men's game to get to: um, Baylor, Kansas, Houston, Cincy on the men's side. But we got to start with Texas Baylor, and it like like you said, it was two games in one weekend because of a postponement earlier in the year that resulted in them playing on Saturday and Monday, um, or I'm sorry, Friday and Sunday correct Mm -hmm. yeah friday and sunday and the first game i watched the second half of it uh you watched the whole thing so i'll let you touch on that one first but then the second game i watched pretty much the whole thing and that was um a really really interesting game but let's start with the first game uh if you were to sum it up how would you kind of summarize it and what what stood out to you as baylor won 75 63 i think the thing that comes to mind is I don't uh, this this one I think didn't play out the way that I think I anticipated it uh the first game I mean because Baylor didn't really dominate the boards the way I thought they would they scored a lot in the paint uh they really I don't have it up but I want I know they dominated as far as scoring in the paint goes but a lot of it just had to do with Texas being really really sloppy and like that was kind of the part of it was cuz of Baylor's defense but a lot of it just had to do with I think just a young Texas team coming up against a really experienced Baylor team. Um, a lot of uncharacteristic turnovers and it looked like Rory Harmon. I really just think that she's hitting kind of a, I really do think she's hitting kind of a freshman wall a little bit um, because even in the second game where they looked better, she wasn't as aggressive. Um, but I will say this was also a very physical game. <laughs> uh, yes. So I think that's where, that's where it got to uh, be a little bit, uh, probably taxing on on a younger and smaller Texas team. Um, I want to say there were 46 fouls in this game call. <laughs> um, Baylor got to peak the line. Texas game. Just a yes, peak, yes, exactly. Peak Vic Schaefer game where it's like, you know, we're just going to, we got to try to get something going. Um, and also 
the one thing that baffled me a little bit, I don't think baffled me. I knew what he was trying to do. I think Vic Schaefer tried to go deep in the first game, really, um, because obviously we've talked about Baylor's lack of depth, and he brought off Shea Holly and um, uh, Kendall Hunter early in the, like his first two subs. And so I was like, okay, well, that's interesting, um, especially because uh, Kendall Hunter s- still has been in and out of the lineup, and she played about only eight minutes in that game. But I thought that was pretty interesting that she went pretty deep early. And I don't know, it just never felt like Texas got into a rhythm after that. Um, and I don't know if that had to do with if there was a change in lineup or not or what, but um, Aliyah Mathar really never got going. It was mostly just like mostly Joanne Allen Taylor and, and Rory Harmon trying to get something going. Um, actually, I should say Aliyah Mathar got going, but she didn't really play that much. So it was like, I don't know if she was trying to like score in bursts or whatever, yeah. but um, yeah, it was a very frustrating game if I'm if I'm probably if I'm a, a Texas fan because I don't think Baylor played particularly great either. Um, I think they got a lot of easy looks on the inside. Um, I think Kalen Bickle actually played really great. I think, um, uh, and of course, Melissa Smith was Melissa Smith. So, yeah, that I mean, just watching the second half and kind of looking at the box point stuff. That the turnovers, the fouls, um, all that stuff kind of, that's why I say it was a Texas game. Cause if you look at like a lot of Texas games, there's like 50 free throws in, in the game. And so mm-hmm. there were 45 in this one, but yeah, the, the easy looks and Alyssa Smith ends up with 25 points on 10 to 12 shooting. Um, Baylor doesn't even shoot that well from three. They only shoot six of 18, which is 33%, not terrible. Uh, but Texas shot five of eight from three. And so mm-hmm. the, the first game, I, I pulled away from it just, just from what I watched. I was like, okay, Baylor's in control of this one. Baylor right. knows what they have to do. Um, their guards are a little more experienced there outside of, I mean, you know, Joy and Alan Taylor is obviously fine experience-wise, but still it's it's a good matchup for Baylor. And that's how I kind of mm-hmm. looked at it. The second game got really interesting because I, I thought the way Nikki Collin used Queen Egbo was different. Mm-hmm. And in the first game, Queen Egbo played 14 minutes. In the second game, Egbo played 24 minutes and, and would have played more if she didn't pick up a fourth foul kind of uh, in like the second half. And mm-hmm. her going with the two big lineup forced Texas to also go too big, right? Lauren Ebo, and then they shuffled around Deanna Gaston or Audrey Warren as the second one. Uh, in and out. And so that's where when they went kind of too big against too big, I was like, Baylor's kind of got this under control mm-hmm. because the spacing wasn't there for Texas. Their offense is already kind of sketchy. And then in the second half, without when that spacing went away, Texas turned the ball over and missed some some shots with some long rebounds. And as a result, Baylor just ran out, just had a bunch of runouts where Alyssa Smith was just on the other side of the court. She wasn't cherry picking, but um, she was at she was at like mid court. By the time they got three rebound, it was just throw it up to her. I, well, I will say she she's very quick. She's very like underratedly quick because like every time she's protecting the paint, and then yeah. like, like you mentioned, they'll get a rebound and she'll be a mid. She'll be a she's gone. How's she already down there? Like she literally probably got like four baskets that way, and mm-hmm. she's the best athlete in the country like for a reason she is just she gets the ball in her hand and she doesn't lose it she's under control she's taking long strides doesn't get charges and it resulted in some easy runouts and that sparked Baylor in the third quarter because I should mention in the first half Baylor scored 18 points yeah and then Baylor starts the second half and scores 18 points in like like seven minutes 
Like they just come out the gates firing. And a lot of that was Melissa Smith. And then um, I thought Queen Eggbo, even though she went one of six from the field, she had eight boards and two blocks. And I thought she kind of established herself. So um, like you said, I thought Bickle was fine as well in both games. And Baylor, Baylor kind of their offense to score, what is this, 45 points in the second half? Mm-hmm. That's the Baylor that we kind of have been waiting to see. And they had didn't even shoot the ball well either, right? They started playing through Nalissa Smith a lot more. Yeah, that's the one thing I will give Texas credit for is that the guards really didn't do much for Baylor. Um, I think Rory Harmon did a great job on yes. Sarah Andrews, um, especially in that first game, even when the um, uh, it seemed like Baylor was getting more good looks. It seemed like Rory Harmon really was trying to make the posts be the reason they won. Um, and it's, and in that second game as well. And yeah, they didn't shoot. They didn't shoot well. I think in that game, in this, in the second game more in particular, I was just like, I know why Nikki Collins making this a guard oriented team, but like you mentioned some of the easy buckets that Nalissa Smith was getting. And it was like, eventually you just got to say, screw the game plan, you know, just like, just get her the ball. Um, and then sure enough, that's in what, that's what ended up happening. That's how they kind of ended up cementing this game away um, was just her basically just taking over. Absolutely. But um, yeah, it was, <clears throat> I will say one of the other things that really frustrated me, and I think that Vic Schaefer adjusted it was in the first game, Texas kind of had this dribble drive weave uh, game plan going. And the commentators mentioned this too. There was no agency with like, at when they when they were doing like the three-man weave or the two-man weave, whatever, at the top of the key, there was no like, agency on the guards because you know when you get to you know when you get the top of the key you have to you have to make it you have to be a threat right you have to be a threat to shoot you have to be a threat to drive Baylor was just like letting them run their action it was like yeah fine like we know you're not we know like Rory Harmon's gonna get the ball at the top of the key she wasn't looking to shoot so they were like she's not gonna drive she's gonna hand this ball off and so like that's you you go back and watch those those motions and you're like all right, they're just like, it feels like they're running practice. And Baylor's just like, yeah, they, they look like they're just running a drill. Yeah. Um, and meanwhile, in the second game, they were like, okay, now they were doing, they were being more aggressive. Um, Joanne Allen Taylor more specifically was like, all right, once I get this ball at the top of the key, I'm going to put my head down and try to go, you know, try to get something done. Um, but eventually, you know, Baylor just, especially when Queen Egbo wasn't going to be in foul trouble until late. Um, I think that's where if I'm, if I'm Texas, and I know, you know, Lauren Ebo and Deanna Gatson aren't exactly that those that level of big. That's probably where I'm more frustrated is that I didn't there were moments where I felt like they could have attacked Melissa Smith and tried to get her a fifth foul or a fourth foul or something. And I don't think they took advantage of that enough. Yeah, that I mean, that's really the only way because Melissa Smith ends up with 28 and 25 points. Yeah. And then you have three guards at Baylor that are good. And one of them is always going to have a good game, right? So that's where it kind of, I feel like, and I agree with you in the sense that Melissa Smith has to be your focal point, but we've touched on that a hundred times in this podcast. So that we don't need to, to kind of rehash it, but especially in this matchup, it didn't feel like Texas had a great, great, some great matchup for her in the post or on the perimeter. I mean, there were times where Aaliyah Moore was on her, but Aaliyah Moore can't, you know, stay with um, Melissa Smith. And then, they put Audrey Warren on her a lot and Audrey Warren's a pest and uh, they kind of got into it a couple of times. They were like clapping at each other and everything like that. And I was like, this is fantastic. That's great. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but Audrey Warren can't guard her either. And, you know, there's not a lot of teams in the country have 
players that can guard her. But it, for Texas, it's tough, especially when Queen Egbo comes in and they have these two bigs just hammering you on the inside. I thought that was the difference. And so that's what we, you know, want to see from Baylor moving forward is, is that type of uh, production from, from Smith. And then if, if, if Queen can, can help her out on the boards, at least that that's a big boost. But um, I said 18 points in the first seven minutes of third quarter Baylor scored. It was actually 25. They scored 25 points in seven and a half minutes. They started off seven to seven. And that's where I was just like, this, this is the Baylor that needs to be playing like every single game, the consistency on offense just hasn't been there for this team. And it's pretty clear they figured it out against Texas in that game too. And so credit to Nikki Conley, because that's a big, uh, big back-to-back wins, especially um, as they try to win the big 12 over there. And I think um, who's the team that's, uh, oh, Oklahoma's lining it up in the big 12 right now. So this is big for Baylor to win both of these games and kind of stay, stay right there in the hunt. Yeah. I'm trying to find, uh, that created some, let's see, that created a two game cushion, obviously for Baylor for tech through Texas, Texas is now five and five, uh, Baylor seven and three and yeah, Oklahoma and Oklahoma and Iowa State are both nine and two. So that's, yeah. kind of, that's wild. But, um, we, I mean, we thought we talked about wondering if Texas could be that team this year and so far, no. Um, <laughs> I think that, uh, I think when Baylor has a plan B, that's, the best player in the country. Um, I think that's kind of a little unfair, but um, still kind of shows the level of that, that we're still kind of the level, the gap between these two teams, I should say, still. Early in the season, it was obviously Rory Harmon and Aliyah Matharu kind of leading the charge everywhere you looked. And now I don't know what, who, like who, who Texas go-to players at this point. Mm-hmm. And it, like, I want it to be a Leo Matharu, but I don't know. Like, is it Joanne Allen Taylor? It might be Joanne Allen Taylor. I was about to say, it might be based off conference. It might be, it feels like in conference play, it's been, it's been more of her, at least as of late. Yeah. And so they've tried and Vic Schaefer has tried to develop depth, which I credit him for, but mm-hmm. I mean, he played, it basically played nine players in that second game against Baylor, which, uh, you know, is a second game in three days. So sure. But I mean, Baylor's rolling out here, th- players rolling playing 35 plus minutes. It's hilarious on the broadcast whenever the, the broadcast tries to, to give them like a little bit of depth credit because they keep saying like, you know, Baylor really doesn't have much depth. And then they go on and say, you know, they, they really just play seven or eight girl, uh, seven or eight players. And I'm like, where's the eighth player? I don't even think they have eight players on the roster. I was, I, eight. I, was like, I was like, you don't have to like sugarcoat. It's like six or seven. All right. right, if, Jaden, right. if Jaden Owen plays, it's seven. If not, it's six. And so Kamari McDaniel was the one that I thought we, we would think would have been eight, but she's, she's not there anymore. So I know. Like, I just, there's, there's, that is a seven player roster. I just, I just love how like broadcasts always try to give them like the benefit of the doubt. Like, Oh, you know, there's, there's like eight on here. They could play. No, no. And so, <laughs> yeah, that, that's the interesting thing to me is the depth dynamic here between Texas and Baylor is Texas is going to try to develop that depth, which I think will help them in the long run. But Baylor at this point has kind of, started to figure it out it looks like and by figuring it out i mean they're getting the ball to Melissa smith and she's averaging like what is she even averaging in conference at this point i don't it's got to be like 25 that's a I good mean, question it feels um, like yeah, she's putting up 25 and here i have it right here if yeah. i can access it um Melissa smith on the season is averaging 32 minutes and 21 points in conference she's averaging 21 points yeah. so 
21 points now boys not bad yeah not bad at all now conversely uh texas offensively um so i i i knew roy Harmon was slowing down i didn't realize how bad it got in conference she's only shooting 32 percent from the floor in conference um she obviously doesn't shoot threes so like i'm not gonna she's shooting under 30 percent, but she she doesn't take many threes so i don't really care that much um the thing that you mentioned Aliyah Mathar, and it's a really interesting question because she's the leading scorer in conference, but she's still not, she's playing 25 minutes a game. Like she's very much a sixth player. Right. Yeah. And so I like, I don't, I don't know if that's like a rhythm thing or like a Vic Schaefer thing, where it's like, she probably doesn't defend as well as she wants. He wants to for a long period of time. Cause Joanna Allen Taylor is playing 35 minutes a game. Right. And Rory Harmon's playing 32 minutes a game. And it's like, Okay, if you have this other score that's playing 25 minutes, like, I don't know. If she can score in bunches and if that's what you want her to do, and then like maybe it's a fatigue thing, maybe that's that's probably it. Um, I don't know, but it is very interesting because we see when she's not going, she's kind of a liability out there. Like when she's not shooting, when she's not yeah. getting up shots, like I don't know. There were sometimes, there were sometimes during the game, uh, during Sunday's game where the announcers were like, all right, like, is this where, you know, this is where Leah Mathara can kind of, you know, they really could really use her kind of being somebody who just gets shots up. And she really didn't seem to. So I don't know. That was a, that's kind of an interesting dynamic. To I mean, like you said, even in the, even in the first game, she only played 18 minutes, even though she was four, six from three and had 17 points. Right. But she, I mean, she also had five turnovers. So yes, that's a concern, but also, I mean, at the end of the day, you got to score points. And when she's not on the court, you really rely on Joanne Allen Taylor to create now with Rory Harmon struggling a bit. So that's why they brought in Shea Holly a bit. Um, Kendall Hunter's played more. They're looking for answers. I feel like so that way they don't need the, it feels like Vic Schaefer is trying to be like, all right, well, we don't want to have to rely on Matharu every single game, every single right. game. Like, we don't want her to be like, if you don't score 15 points, we're not winning this game. We want to be able to supplement that in some way. And not just with Joanne Allen Taylor, but with some depth. And that's where Kendall Hunter comes into play. That's where Shea Holly comes into play. Um, But at at some point, you have to just kind of rely on her. Because I think if you play her 28, 30 minutes, she's going to score 15 points. Like, she might have some turnovers. She might have some defensive lapses, sure, but... I mean, you're you're not scoring enough against a Baylor team that has struggled defensively at times this year. Mm. Like Baylor has been an inconsistent defense, um, especially earlier in the year when we were very worried about them. I mean, they've allowed 83 and 78 to Oklahoma and Oklahoma is a good team. But I mean, there's just a lot of concern I have right now for Texas scoring the ball with Rory Harmon struggling the way that she is, because early in, in the year, that was the separator early in the year. Rory Harmon was the difference. That was like, she was the engine and she was the one that made everything go. And then Aliyah Mataro and everybody else could kind of play off of her. Well, now she's kind of getting shut down. So mm-hmm. now you need other players to step up and create. And I don't know if they have a secondary creator, like Joanne Allen Taylor, I want to believe is that, but she feels like more of just a, a scorer in spurts than a, a real engine of this team. So right. it might just come down to can Rory Harmon get free? Can Rory Harmon kind of break through that freshman wall and figure and uh, help this offense get back on track? Cause if not, I don't see how this offense really functions at a high level without her. Yeah. 
So, all right, let's move on. I do want to touch on before we move on to the men's side. Uh, I watched UT Arlington and Appalachian State on the women women's side. I watched a yeah. good amount of that, and it was I watched it because UTA was eight, eight. I'm sorry, seven and two in conference, and App State was five and one. And so I was like, all right, this is two of the better teams in the conference. I haven't watched App State obviously, but I have watched plenty of UTA, and I love UTA, which I've said multiple times on this podcast. And I turn it on, and I'm just watching the first half, and Jacobs uh, Star Jacobs. It just went crazy. 20 points in the first half, ends up with 33 on 13 to 25 shooting with 10 boards, three assists, four steals, one block. Star Jacobs is dominating right now. Mm. And she has continued to play well throughout conference play. And then, like I've said before, I love the depth on, or I love the starting five on this team. I love the really the six player rotation that they have. Uh, Taryn Milton ends up with six with 18 points. Um, Claire Chastain ends up with nine, but she's kind of that like off ball scoring threat that I like a lot for for them. And then she can also create off the dribble for others. They ended up as a team with 26 assists, which is just absurd. Katie Farrell, five, Claire Chastain, seven, and Taryn Milton, 10. Like this team is just clicking, absolutely clicking. And they took a... They took about a 10-point lead going into half against App State, and then App State fights back, cuts to like five a couple times uh, or even less, and then UT Arlington just put the game away. And I love the way they put the game away. So a uh, big shout-out to UTA women because they are playing some really, really good basketball. App State tried throwing zone at them, didn't work. Tried playing some like pressure man, didn't work. It's just mm. – it was, it was a ec- – Exceptional 88 points, 88 points in an 88 to 79 win over App State. Uh, excellent performance from um, the Lady Mavericks. Yeah, I think that they're, I think they're tied with Troy now for at top of the conference. Um, everybody else is kind of, I think, has has had more COVID cancellation issues because everybody's like five and two, five and three outside of that. Yeah. But um, I'm trying to see if I can figure out where their schedule is from here. Yeah, they won um, five straight at this point. So yeah, and so they don't and they don't play. It looks like they don't. They've played Troy. They played Troy earlier in the year and lost by uh, ten in January. Um, and they don't play them again. So like they have ULM, Louisiana, Coastal, Little Rock, and Arkansas State. Which uh, I think Louisiana is the only team in there with a above five hundred record. So yeah, it's going to be them and Troy basically in that conference tournament, looking to be kind of the favorites and front runners. We'll see if they can kind of squeak out a, a regular season title too. Yeah. They, I mean, they have five games left according to this. I don't know if there's any postponements that'll be added on, but yeah. five games left and they're sitting at eight and two. If they can go four and one in there, that puts a lot of pressure on Troy, mm-hmm. a lot of pressure. So yeah, keep an eye on UTA women's. Uh, I want to give them a shout out because they played very, very well this weekend. Um, let's get to the men. Where do you, do you want to start with Baylor, Kansas? Do you just want to get that one out the way? sure yeah i mean <laughs> you don't sound too excited i mean baylor uh, lost to yeah. kansas 83 to 59 yeah in a game that was over in the first half it was probably over in the first like 10 minutes or so right um once again bailey didn't have lj crier but they did have everybody else for this one and mm-hmm. kansas to their credit was coming off of a blowout home loss against kentucky um i think and, that was was that was that out with a uh, excuse me was that without a in that game 
I feel I like believe... some guys. I feel like some guys for. Kansas well, I know Remy Martin didn't play. Let me see. No, Abaji played. Abaji okay, played in that mind. one. Abaji's Obad- Obad- been like, like he's been kind of hampered, but he's played. I feel like for mm-hmm. almost every game that they've had this this okay. past stretch. But yeah, after that Kentucky loss, they went and beat Iowa State by nine on the road, and then back home they put it on Baylor. Man, Baylor uh, lost eighty three to fifty nine, and. It wasn't even that close. It was well over. I I have a couple takeaways, but uh, what do you want to start? Um, are we worried about Baylor? Well, I was gonna, my my question is: Are we worried about Baylor yet? Um, because this Kansas team was more or less being written off last week. Like after they lost to Kentucky, it was kind of like, all right, cool, they're not a national title contender. You know, kind of like push them to the side. I mean, sure, LJ Cryer's out, but like, I don't know. Yeah, this team no. shouldn't fall. We, we've credited this team for being, you know, the system now, right? And being, yes. you know, a product of Scott Drew now. And, and Kinjo's back. And I know he's not 100%, probably not 100%, but still, you get a 75 to 80% James Kinjo, you should be fine. Um, you shouldn't lose 83-59, right? Like, and it's not even the fact that they lost to Kansas in Kansas. It's it's this, this loss, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Are you are we are we worried yet? I'm I'm starting to be concerned because a Kansas has is too up in the loss column uh, for the for the regular season conference. Here's here's a note that I have, and I think this will kind of tie into what we're talking about a lot. I really miss Mark Weidel on yes. this team. That's a good point. Yeah, I this was one of my notes. They just looked like they got beat up physically and out like out scrappied out energied all those like things that never would have happened i feel like if mark vital was on the team and i know it's more than just mark vital because davion mitchell was obviously great at that as well and they were all everybody on that team last year was great but like mark vital specifically it just feels like when you replace him with matthew meyer it doesn't feel the same like it's just it's just not the same matthew meyer out here shooting step back threes and you know getting up a shot every chance he gets when Mark Vidal was out there punching people in the face for 40 minutes, like it's just, that's what I feel like this team misses more than anything is that kind of physicality. And obviously if you look at all their stats, they're rebounding at a, at a fine rate. They're defending at like a really good rate. They're a great defensive team still, but like there's just these games where they just don't seem to have it. And that never happened last year. Obviously, like we're talking about one of the best teams ever. Like they just never didn't have it. And this year, there are nights where they don't have it. Also, their defense has slipped pretty substantially. They're down to eight in Ken Palm. And I yeah, remember I was, early I was in the year, say, for like I was, top five. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say that's where – I mean, just look at the last – so the last three results. Look at the last three results, right? Yeah. 87-71 uh, against Alabama, they lost. They lose 81-77 to uh, – they win, uh, sorry, 81-77 against West Virginia. And they lose – then they give up 83 to Kansas. Like, back-to-back to back games where they they have to score right they have yeah. to score a ton um and i was actually looking at their defensive numbers they're they're back to average in the big 12 in defense they're sixth sixth yeah in defensive efficiency yeah. um they're eighth in effective field goal percentage defense like they're just not defending at the level they were last year um and again not even last year but earlier this year like they're just not and i don't know again we've talked about we've harp consistently on how tough the big 12 is this year and you know i guess that's somewhat reflective in how 
how much they've struggled, but I don't think they should be struggling this much. Ironically, we've talked about their, their shooting. They're first in the big 12 and three point percentage right now. Like they're, they're yeah. shooting fine. Um, but it's the defense where they're, they've fallen off. And that's kind of where, yeah, I don't know. That's where I'm really starting to, to um, become concerned because, you know, when you have tech coming up, even when you have Texas coming up, like you're going to have to defend. Um, and I, I'm, a little worried now that this team can't reach the heights that we saw this year defensively. And I'm trying to figure out why exactly. Yeah. It's uh, not all, some of it's injury, not all of it's injury. Cause again, they're mostly healthy now. Well, LJ, but like LJ, the Alabama game and all that. Yeah. LJ Carr is not like this crazy defender. Like it's not like, you know, right. Right. Yeah. Missing it's like the, the, the scoring's the scoring's fine without him. Right. That's kind of where you expect LJ Carr to be most impactful. Yeah. And so, like you said, they're shooting the ball well, and that's really the only thing that you can kind of give them right now is their three-point shooting is keeping them, giving them chances. But And the Alabama game felt like a little bit of an outlier. The West Virginia game was 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 tough. Like, you know, that one did, didn't make me feel much better. And then this one kind of felt like a dam starting to break. And mm-hmm. I say that fully aware that they can just go out and stomp Kansas State, beat Texas, and then they have – Texas Tech on the road, and that's probably the biggest game um, to this point probably of the year for them. I mean, Kansas, again, will be big. But, like, the defense – and I, I do I don't want to put all the blame on the front court here, but it just feels like the front court is the difference. And they have Flo Thamba and they have Jonathan Chamochacho back, and so it's, in that respect it's the same. But they those guys early in the year, I, felt, I, thought, I thought they were different players. Early in the year, it felt like Thamba and Jonathan were better than they were last year. Right now, it doesn't feel like that. And also, Mm -hmm. another thing that was different early in the year uh, from last year defensively were the wings, right? Jeremy Sohan and um, Kendall Brown. And you're like, okay, when you sub those guys in at the three, you have a three, four, five that's like six, eight, six, ten, six, ten. And that's the difference from last year where you had, you know, six, five, six, four, six, four, six, ten. You know, that's the difference. Right. Kendall Brown and Jeremy Sohan haven't been great by any means. And I think Kendall Brown's offense might have like surpassed his defense at this point because they're, now it feels like teams are kind of just exposing their 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 interior defense. And the length doesn't seem to as to, doesn't seem to matter as much. And then at the guard position, you you don't have LJ Cryer, which hurts your depth. And in place, in turn, you're having to start and play Dale Bonner a lot. And while Dale Bonner, I think is fine. Your backcourt is Adam Flagler and Dale Bonner. And that's not nearly as terrifying as Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell. Like it's just a whole different world. And that was the whole thing early in the year. I was like, this defense is statistically better but the defensive ball pressure on the perimeter isn't the same, you know. I was going to say, like, last year, you, you like, teams, like, feared when Baylor would yeah. clamp it down, right? Yeah. Like, Baylor could, like, we, I mean, that Gonzaga game was the perfect summary where it was, like, when they wanted to, they could just absolutely destroy you on both ends. Exactly. And they didn't need to last year as much because they were just shooting so well. But when they wanted to, it was just like, oh, you're in hell. Like, you're just straight up, you're just in hell, in hell on the perimeter. Yeah, and I, I mean, last year they were second in the Big 12 in defense. And like you said, I think a lot of those, I think a lot of the results, like the reason why maybe their defensive rating last year was lower than expected is because they were just putting up like 100 points on teams. 
And when you score like 90 points, other teams, your defense, you know, slips off a bit. But like you said, when this team wanted to defend, they were one of the best defensive teams in the country. This year, you don't have the defensive ball pressure and you don't have Mark Vidal. You don't have a guy that cleans up everything, whether it's rebounding or block shots um, or the, just bringing that energy. Like if you don't have energy in one night, you need a guy that can do that. And mm-hmm. I, I can argue a lot of teams missed that, but Baylor had that last year. And this year they don't. This year it's like, if we're not shooting well, the defense is going to be good, but then there's always a chance that if the other team is prepared and the other team is hitting, we're kind of screwed because we can't, they don't force turnovers at the same rate, even though they are um, top 10 last year, they were even higher in forcing turnovers. And the, the defensive ball pressure is just not the same when you have Adam Flagler and Dale Bonner out there. I'm sorry. It's not. So I am, I am concerned to answer your question. I am starting to be concerned. (laughs) Yeah, I think and I'm wondering like what's let's say because they dropped Baylor dropped to uh, I'm trying to look at the new men's 10th, I think, in the AP poll. 10th in the AP poll. So the new AP poll came out just before the men's AP poll came out just before we started recording. Uh Tech's up to nine, Baylor is 10, Texas is down to 20, which we can talk about them in a bit because they uh they probably would have dropped out based off last week, another loss to tech. Um, this time to tech, but they beat Iowa State, and so that probably got, kept them um, and even elevated them a bit. Yeah, can, can we talk about how? Um, I mean, yeah. well, okay, well, I shouldn't say because they they lost to Iowa State earlier in, in yes. the year. They yes. lost on the road to Iowa State, and then they come back and they beat Iowa State. And I, I kind of laugh because Iowa State, Tennessee, Oklahoma State, TCU, all four of these wins. Actually, you go back the last five wins. A team hasn't scored over 52 on them. Right, right. And but then it's like if if they if a team does manage to somehow score the ball and like actually shoots at a decent percentage. Oh, they're done. They're done. Like, it just has no chance, no <laughs> shot done. in the world to win the game. Oh, they're like, done. Yeah. Once that team crosses like 55, it becomes right. like a totally different team and they can't do anything. Just... Like Chris Beard wrote on has on the whiteboard in big letters like 55 points. Do not let them go over this number. It's like the game plan. Yeah, no, the game plans for the week is like he sees the 55 and is like, it's just an arrow. It says more than this, lose, less than this, win. Like it's just the game plan. It's that simple. Like some coaches teach defense and emphasize defense. Chris Beard is like, no, we are living and dying by this defense. He starts sweating when they get to like 52. It's like, what? Come on. It's like the (laughs) late early second half and they're at 52 already. Texas Tech was like at 50 points and with like 10 minutes left in the game, we're like, oh God, we're not winning this one, boys. (laughs) Pack it up. But, yeah, they held Iowa State to 41 points, and Iowa State is disgusting. Absolutely they're disgusting. Not, they're not – they – I don't know. They just dropped out of the top 25, but I've, I've not been impressed with them this year. They, ha- they haven't been top 25 in, like, weeks. They're, like, three and seven in conference at this point. Are they not yeah. – like, like, yeah, they're three and seven in conference now. And I don't know. I don't know. Again, I, I'm all for giving a little curve to the big toe, but that's, that's a little egregious that they were ranked. <laughs> yeah, no, they were, I remember cause I watched a little bit of the Texas Iowa state game and yeah. it was early on and it was just crazy seeing Iowa state. I, I think they were like 23 or something, whatever they were ranked, 23 and three and six in big 12. And I was like, do we have to do this? Do we have to have a ranking next to Iowa state? Like, and, anyway. I, and I get it. Cause I got two good wins. They had, they beat tech and they beat Texas. Right that's i mean other than that they've been embarrassed like 
like they got embarrassed by Oklahoma. They got embarrassed by TCU. They got embarrassed uh, when they went to Lubbock. Like they've just, outside of two wins that are good wins, they've been completely just embarrassed on the other end. Yeah. No. Um, I don't have anything else on the Big Twelve, Texas or Baylor. Um, no, I think let's TCU, get to the highest. Let's get to the highest ranking team in Texas, man. We've we've been silent for too long. We've been silent for far too long. We, we, we said we were waiting for this stretch of games. We, we said it. We prefaced it, everything. I think in like January, we were like, you know, we'll see how Houston looks whenever they play this stretch on February 6th to February 12th. And even beyond that, but where they play Cincinnati, SMU, and Memphis. That's a three-game stretch. And they kicked off that stretch against at Cincinnati. And this is the same Cincinnati team that at home beat SMU by like 20 or 30 a couple weeks ago. And so I go into this game actually pretty scared. I was like, Cincinnati's a hell of a team at home. This is not something you could play with. And Houston just goes out there and beats the, just breaks the doors down, burns the house down. Like it does everything. It wins 80 to 58. And it was not close at all. It was 26 to nine through 10 minutes. It was like 20 to two after a couple of minutes. Houston was never going to lose this game. Houston played unbelievable basketball. And like I said, this was our first time really, really focusing on a Houston game at all since Texas State. Like, probably, yeah. I don't remember the last time I watched it. Because soon after was the Marcus Sasser injury. Um, Yeah. And so we were like, okay, well, I don't know how much we can take. It was also a week schedule. So, like, we at the time, so. We didn't know how much we could take into them crushing teams without Marcus Sasser. And yeah, this is, I mean, that probably, that's probably my first time paying attention, full attention to them um, since that point. And I basically cut it off early in the second half. I was like, I'm good. I don't need to see this. Yep. Like they, you know, credit to y'all. They just curb stopped Cincinnati. And you mentioned the tough stretch of games. I mean, SMU's not looking. I mean, they look they look fine, right? I They're fear for fine. SMU's life. I was about to say, I fear for SMU. They they lost to Wichita State. They got crushed by Wichita State. Um, I still think they're probably the second, third best team in this conference, but I think Houston's yes. I think there's a gap now. I just yeah, think, I think there's a huge gap. I think Ken Palm has it at Houston going 16 and 2 and SMU at second place coming at 11 and 7. I think that's what Ken Palm has it at. Yeah. So that's I, I just it's it's yeah. it's gonna be a curb stomping, I think, for Everybody and then Memphis. I mean, Amani Bates probably is not going to play for them again. <laughs> like, like they're a whole nother mess, like going on there with them. So I don't think we got to worry about them either. Oh yeah, no, he's gone. He's done. He's done with college basketball for a bit. <laughs> so yeah, no, they're not. You don't have to worry about them either. But still, it's a. It's going to be an. Is that game at Houston? I don't. I don't have it up anymore. Uh, um, yeah, that game's at Houston. Yeah. In Houston, rather. So they play at SMU then and home against Memphis. Um, I have a few takeaways here, yep. like overarching ones. This was really fun to me because, like I said, I didn't watch Houston play like Southern Florida. I didn't watch Houston play right. Temple. I've seen bits. I saw bits of them play UCF uh, while I was covering, I think, an LSU game. But long story short, I haven't watched a full you know game of this Houston team. And to see the emergence of players that we weren't expecting to be great, was awesome. Taze Moore looked mm-hmm. awesome. Um, Josh Carlton, I remember in the preseason, 
when uh, I feel I was filling out the rosters and everything like that. And then Josh Carlton was added like late. And so I had to put him at the end. I was like, oh, this guy's like seven feet tall from UConn and was like a really good player at UConn. Like, why can't he be good over here? He's a dominant force now. And the crazy thing is, even with losing two of their best players, they're still comfortably eight deep. Yeah. Comfortably eight deep. Reggie Chaney off the bench. Ramon Walker, who had didn't have a great game, but when it was over two in 20 minutes, I feel like he can play better. I've seen him play better. Uh, he was out there. And then Jawan Roberts, who is just a rebounding machine, is out there. And so to see these new guys step up, I don't know what else Kelvin Sampson has to do to win coach of the year. Like, who else is coach of the year right now? Like, I mean, the only problem is it's probably it's probably Mark Adams. I mean, Houston's playing better. They're ranked higher. They're playing better. But, like, I think the narrative – I can't give this to- – I, I, I'm the trying to think. Mark Adams might be – okay, no, no, you're like, right. I think that, Bruce that's Pearl's probably going to win it. Yes, Bruce yes. Pearl's Bruce Pearl's probably going to win it. Yes, first of all, yeah. With Jabari Smith, Walker Kessler. If anything, he should win, like, GM of the year, like, in the NBA. <laughs> right, like, right. Assembling the best team. Like, yeah. you did it. You won the GM of the year. I was about to say, with the transfer portal, we need to make, like, GM a thing. Like- exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, best roster construction. Figure out a way to right. phrase it, NCA, to where you're not just, like, buying players. But regardless <laughs> – if I'm talking best coaching job, I mean, and no, I, I 100% agree. 100% agree. Because, like, in, in defense of that, Mark Adams, you know, is more or less doing the same thing he's always done, yes. which is coaching a no middle, strong defense at Texas Tech. Um, he's just now in the big chair. Uh, man, Kelvin Sampson lost his best player and, like, two of his best players, and they're fine. Like, they're just, they're fine. They're going to blow this conference out of the water. Um, yeah, no, this is, this is, like, and I've, I, I'm trying to think, like, I don't even know who else is in this comment. I think Mark Adams is an actual, like, really good candidate here. Um, <laughs> I would have said, like, Hurley at Connecticut early in the year. I don't, I mean, they've kind of dipped off. Arizona's coach, done, done a good job over there. I'm sure Mark Fuse in the conversation. But, like, if you told me early in the season, after this team had was, you know, winning games um, and looked comfortable doing it, you're like, oh, yeah, Mark Marcus Sasser is going to be out, like, for the entire conference season and postseason, right. like he's done for the year. I would have said, and I did say on this podcast, I was like, okay, well, it's over. They're done. Right. They're done. <laughs> they're not done at all. And that's the crazy thing is I, I watched that team and I've watched a lot of SEC basketball. I've watched a lot of Big 12 basketball, obviously. This team is right there with anybody else in, in the country. Like Texas Tech against Houston, I don't know who I'd pick right now. I have no clue who I'd pick right now. And Texas Tech probably has more talent, but Houston defensively is back mm-hmm. where they were last year. Off, they're, again, one of the best offensive rebound teams in the country. Let me see where they rank exactly. Um, third in offensive rebounding in the country. Um, first in field goal percentage defense. Yeah, first in field goal percentage defense. Like, And now they're not even shooting the ball at a poor clip. They're at 35% from the year. And 32% in conference play. And if that stick holds up, they're going to be a tough, tough, tough team to beat because we saw against Cincinnati, you can't just be like a good team here. Like uh, you have to be, and I thought the broadcast did a good job at, at one point early on. There's some times when I don't like broadcasts, but there's other time when, when I do. <laughs> and I don't remember who it was, but one of them said it feels like, the whole Mike Tyson thing where everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face mm-hmm. and Houston punches people in the face 
yeah. still like last year they did it and this year they're still doing it like that if that's not the sign of a great coach i don't know what is because houston regardless of their personnel has punched people in the face for two years now and is i mean for longer but two years now especially and they're just plugging in pieces and continue to win games so Credit to Kyler Edwards for stepping up. Credit to Jamal Shedd for stepping up. Credit to Fabian White for hitting four or five threes and dropping mm-hmm. 22 points. He's been phenomenal. Like, this team is awesome. Absolutely yeah. awesome. I, I was going to say, like, they found something. You remember earlier in the year where it was like it seemed – we talked about how it seemed like they were trying to figure out how their guard rotation would work just when you lose somebody like um, Giroux, you know, that, that guy who's just kind of that steady hand. It was like, okay, well, who's going to set this team up? Kyler Edwards didn't look too comfortable. Marcus Sasser was that guy at times. I mean, him, Edwards and Shed have become that tandem, right? Like Shed, it's basically both of their – the balance they found with those two in the backcourt has been kind of interesting to watch, and they've clicked at the right time where it's like, okay, this is the balance they needed. Starting That starting lineup is pretty great because Jamal Shed's uh, very much a true point guard, and – I like that you mentioned Josh Carlton too coming at it. Like last year, Houston was an undersized team, right? They just had mm-hmm. like this insane knack for the kind of anticipating off the rebounds and anticipating the boards. And now they just got a big dude in there. Like now it's just like now you can just take that and put that with a guy who's actually big and then who's next to Fabian White, who was probably, you know, probably a five last year for them, playing more for. Um yeah, no, this this has been overnight like it's been just kind of an incredible transformation from them um and it's like you mentioned it's a lot of guys that we didn't really expect i mean with some guys that we were intrigued by like taze moore and, and carlton we were kind of intrigued by but i didn't expect them to play this huge of a role uh this year yeah. uh not for nothing also carlton and white were able to post up a good amount of times which mm-hmm. i don't i think we can count on like one hand how many times they posted up last year right. uh, as a team uh, but they, they posted up and they were effective. Uh, Carlton is a game three of five from the field. I, I think you bring up a great point in the size department. That is something that's different from last year to this year. Um, they're just last, flat out bigger. Yeah, they're just bigger this year. So that's, that's a huge development here. And if they continue to score the ball and they're playing with it, just they looked confident. They looked comfortable. Kyler Edwards looked, looked confident and, Man, this team is just going to be tough, tough to beat, um, especially in conference. Like, we'll see. SMU maybe could get high. It is at SMU, you know. Mm-hmm. SMU is going to be like that's going to be the game. That's yeah. going to be our, our, our when is that? That game is on Wednesday. All right. Whenever we do the podcast on Thursday or Friday, that's going to be the game I think we probably lead off with. I haven't looked at any of the games on, on the schedule, like Big 12 mm-hmm. wise or whatever, but. If Houston comes out and runs SMU, man, which I, I hope it's a close game. I want SMU to be close. And I think it could yeah. be close, like eight, seven, six, seven, eight points. But yeah. like if, if SMU is not ready to take that first punch, Houston could just roll over them. Yeah. The, I will say one more thing that I like about this team is that I think Kelvin Sampson is doing a good job of just like, throwing guys to the wolves and usually that's seen as like a bad thing but like i think because like take somebody like a um uh ramon walker right who's not shooting great you watch him and you're like all right is he a three-point threat no he's not shooting the three well he's not a scoring threat but he's you can tell kelvin samson's just like figure it out 
right? He's just like, he, you're going to play 15 minutes a game. You're going to shoot when you're open. You know, we're going to try to get you some good looks. If you can get to the line, get to the line, whatever. Rebound whenever you can, but mostly figure it out, right? Just get, you play defense, do what you can, because we just, we, we need guys. And he's, he, again, I, I, I'm curious to see how it pays off. Cause he's still like, he's still young. Um, but I like that he's, Kelvin Sampson's like, no, 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 we're not going to baby you. Like we need that. We need depth and we need bodies. So we're just going to have you figure out whatever you're doing by itself. Cause he's a true freshman, um, pretty good recruit coming out of uh, shadow Creek, but I just like how he's just saying, no, 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 you're guaranteeing 10, 15 minutes a game. And I don't care if you're shooting poorly. I don't care if you're doing whatever, like, we're just going to have you figure this out. <laughs> yeah, no. So uh, we'll see how, how that game on Wednesday goes, but Houston, it's crazy. If you think about it too, their two losses have come by two points or well, Wisconsin came by two points and Alabama came by one point. Mm-hmm. So that's very formidable. Uh, we'll see the number eight offense in the country, number 12 defense in the country, according to Ken Palm, just absurd, absurd numbers for, for this Houston team. So we'll see how they do uh, against SMU. Uh, last couple games I wanted to touch on real quick. I uh, don't, I didn't, uh, watch these per se uh we already talked about the the smu one so we don't have to uh refer refer to that one but sam houston state actually lost a game unfortunately they lost utah valley by 3 57 54 and i'm not gonna panic i'm not gonna over overreact just yet uh-huh. Uh-huh. but uh 54 points is concerning for a team that has the offense that we you know assume Sam Houston to have. They've now lost two of the last three. Lost to Seattle by 15, beat Dixie State, and lost to Utah Valley since the Cal Baptist win. And the next stretch, they have Chicago State, Abilene Christian, RGV, SFA, Grand Canyon, Tarleton. Those are the last six games of the year. Mm. I, th- I think if, if they go, look, if they go three and three, they end 12 and six, which is still very good. Mm-hmm. If they go four and two, that's 13 and five, which is in, in, in incredible. I need to see, I need to see where the, where the, where the whack is at right now. Let me see. Uh, let's whack. see. I'm trying to figure out. New Mexico. Yeah. So they, so they skip, I mean, Can, so, okay. New, okay. So New Mexico States at eight and one Seattle's mm-hmm. at eight and two Sam Houston state nine and three. Those are the, so they, don't, they don't have either one of those teams left. Sam no. Houston does. So that's a positive. Um, also, though, they're going to need those teams to lose a game, though, to somebody other than them. They've already beaten New Mexico State. Yeah, Grand Mexico Canyon State's... again. Yeah, that's tough. Or not again. Or, yeah, they, they, yeah, they, they, they beat them by two. Yeah, yeah. They beat them by two last time. So, so we'll, we'll see. I, I'm thinking 12 and 6 probably the most likely if they split 3 and 3. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like that's a tough schedule. Even though don't, we don't have – Don't they got SFA? Yeah, they got SFA. Yeah, too, SFA road, so. and ACU. And ACO has been down, but they're still seven and five in conference. Tarleton's six and five in conference. RGV is kind of tailed off a bit. We were high on them early. They have lost like a lot now. <laughs> so they're two and nine in conference. Lamar is 0 and 9, 2 and 20. Um, shout out Lamar trying to trying to rebuild that thing over there. That's not fun. Yeah. But yeah, so that's that's the first one. And then the second one in my notes was UTEP beats Rice by two. And I feel like I should have watched this game. So I'm, I'm sorry. I should have watched this game. 
because it's a Conference USA game, and I pride myself on being a Conference USA aficionado. <laughs> but UTEP wins 72-70, and every time I went back and checked the score, Rice was in the lead. Like, Rice yeah. was up, like, four or five, something like that. And then at the end, I check in, and UTEP won by two. And Jamal Bienemy just decided to go nuclear, apparently. Yeah, so Drops so do you 36. have the box score up? Yeah, go yeah, ahead. He dropped, he dropped 36, 7 of 11 from three. Um, and it's, it's wild. Cause like <laughs> UTEP didn't shoot well, like at all. They had, they, they shot 40% from two, uh, rice shot better from them from two. And if not for Jamal B they would have shot better from them from three as well. Uh, his seven of 11 basically ballooned them to 11 of 21 from three and rice shot 40% from three, they shot nine of 22. And it was just one of those games where it was like, they couldn't guard you know, I mean, granted, probably the most talented player on the floor, but they couldn't guard him. So that's kind of the difference. And I mean, if you're if you're if you're Joe Golding, that's seven, you know, giving up 70 probably makes you pull your hair out. But you're like, hey, I got Jamal the enemy. That's fine. Jamal the enemy is the, the best player on the court in this game. Uh, for me, probably. Interesting game. It's <laughs> just a game. <laughs> I mean, Jesus. I mean, Travis Evie couldn't couldn't steal that or Carl Pierre. Damn, you're taking you're taking all you're taking them you're taking the enemy over them any over everybody on rice. I think so. I'm probably Ooh, taking them. All right. I mean, so so game uh, so so game to game, yeah, probably you know probably you probably go with a because Jamal Bienemy can kind of fade in and out a little bit in my opinion. But I think if if you take the whole package of of you know what he can do with the ball, I think he's probably one of the better rebounders. Like I, I probably would take him. Okay. Okay. I, I was interested going in this game because UTEP's defense had been playing a lot better. And then Rice's offense had been playing better, more consistently, rather. Yeah. So I we're actually thought Rice... On, we're recording this on Monday, and UTEP's got uh, your, your fighting Ming Green. Yes, today, they do. So. They play today. That's Because they got rescheduled. It's supposed to be last Thursday. And, uh, yeah, North Texas is off to the be best. probably watching that. North Texas is off to the best start, uh, conference start in program history. So... We'll see. That's nine and one against seven and three. UTEP's up to seven and three at this point. That's another reason why this game was big, though, because UTEP was six and three and Rice was six and four in conference. Yeah. So trying to get get that um, situation in the West where you don't want to be like fifth in the West, where I think you Rice is fifth now. All right. Right. Because yeah, La Tech, UAB, North Texas, UTEP is fourth at seven and three. I believe that's crazy, and so. Yeah, I, I just I thought Rice would actually win this game going and looking at it. So um, they played well. It looks like Pierre played well. Evie five of twelve. They didn't turn the ball over that much, but I mean, can't can't guard Jamal Bienemy, the the best player on the court apparently. Oh my and god! All right. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I mean, to be fair, I don't think there's a, a clear answer of who the best player on the court is. But so, like, I mean, it's either him, Evie, or Suley Boom. Probably, yeah. but I throw like, Pierre I, in there. Yeah, Even I just, I, I, I just, and maybe that's clouded from my time watching him in high school too. But yeah, I just think school. that, yeah, I just think that there's somebody who's uh, somebody. Is, I just think the ceiling and the versatility of him. Makes I'll never forget. Make I'll never forget watching Jamal Bienemy against um, Tyrese Maxey in the state semifinal in the Alamo Dome. Oh, uh, when was that? Like twenty. 2019 2019 i think it was yeah uh yeah when uh was that when maxi dropped uh 40? 48 48 yeah. i was there because i told lost. my friend i told yeah i told my friend i was like 
you know, I think they need to drop. I think he needs to drop 50 for them to win. Yeah. Drop 48. And I was like, yeah, this dude is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> shout out Tyrese Maxey. Also, shout out Jamal B. Enemy. B. Enemy was, you know, one of the best players on the other team. But, mm-hmm. you know, Tyrese Maxey was. I, he was I that dude. Bought, I mean, we're seeing what he's doing for the Sixers right now. He's, he's, you can tell he was that dude. Yeah. If I could have bought a Tyrese Maxey high school jersey, I would have. <laughs> Let's just say that. That was my guy. Because then that was his. I think that was Maxey's junior year. Yeah. And then his senior year, I actually went to their their region finals in region semis uh, in Dallas, and they won that region semi game. And then they played in the region final, and I didn't go to that, and they lost. To yeah. Their, oh, no. It's your fault. Dear, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. There you go. Shout out to Tyrese Maxey on this podcast. Um. But all right, I think that's all we had. Did I miss anything? Um, I don't think so. Bayless. I was going to remind you to talk about your, your your mean green there for the best start, but you, you hinted on them. So. Best start ever. Look, they, they got UTEP tonight, Monday night. Uh, I'll be watching that actually very intently. I'll be watching that and LSU women's basketball at the same time because um, John, the guy who I, I helps out with mean green 24-7, is, has class, so we can't cover the, the Nortex game. So... I'm gonna be live tweeting both games at once. Oh, shout out! It's both at six o'clock. So North Texas, UTEP, be, six o'clock. Gonna be sitting in your in your matrix chair, with the double screens going, and your yes. fingers typing on six computers at once. I need to buy a monitor, just like an extra <laughs> monitor, and just put it right here. But yeah, we'll see how that goes. North Texas, they could potentially get off to a ten and one start. They and they have UAB in a couple weeks or a week, I think it is, and that'll be pretty much for the conference at that point. So yeah i think that's everything that's all we got for y'all today uh we appreciate y'all for listening uh after we did the last podcast we did was the texas tech one and that one was was a lot of fun um but yeah we thank y'all for joining us leave us a five-star rating and review on apple on spotify wherever you listen to the podcast you can follow us on twitter at dct basketball you can follow ish on twitter at ishmael r johnson follow me on twitter at matthew bernie underscore check out all the content at texasbasketball.com and yeah we thank y'all for listening and we'll talk to y'all later